Hello, hola, que tal? Como estamos? It's Paul Burge here, your host for another episode of the When in Spain podcast. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you're listening from around the world. Coming up in the hour ahead, we're going to be talking all things Menorca. I'm going to be whisking us off to the Balearic island of Menorca in the Mediterranean. And we're going to be exploring the tranquility, the wilderness and the kind of laid back nature of the island of Menorca. And as regular listeners will know, quite often I like to do one of these kind of 101 guides to a particular Spanish destination, uh, a kind of everything you should know. And well, this episode is absolutely no exception. We're going to be deeply exploring Menorca. We're going to be looking at a bit of the history, culture, landscape of the island, places you should visit, local customs and traditions, food and drink, and, uh, well, getting underneath some interesting questions like why is gin locally produced on the island of Menorca and consumed by the locals in vast quantities? What is the relationship between the condiment mayonnaise and the island of Menorca? And why some English words have been absorbed into the local language of Menorquí, which is uh, a dialect of Catalan? And, of course, we'll be finding out a whole lot more about this beautiful, tranquil Mediterranean island. And to help us do that, I've invited on to the show Lorraine Yur. Lorraine Yur has spent uh, around 25 years on the island of Menorca. She lives there now with her partner, um, who actually, incidentally, uh, is a sketch artist. And we're going to be talking about uh, a book that he's produced and which Lorraine has edited, beautiful watercolours of all sorts of parts of the island of Menorca. Uh, Lorraine works as a tour guide also, and she's uh, actively involved in the local community on the island of Menorca, helping promote it outside of Spain. Uh, so we'll also be talking a bit about what she gets up to on the island of Menorca as well. But I think you're really going to enjoy this episode about Menorca. I found out so many things that I had no idea about. It's got a really interesting, uh, curious history and identity, which we'll be talking about in the hour ahead. Just ahead of that, I'd like to say a big thank you and a special shout out to brand new When in Spain patron. Big gracias to Paul Squires for signing up to support the podcast uh, on the crowdfunding website Patreon. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. Uh, any little bit of financial donation support really does help. It all adds up. So thanks to you. If anyone else enjoys the podcast and would like to sign up to make a donation, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash when in Spain, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash when in Spain. And when you hit that page, it's all very self-explanatory. The other thing I'd just like to mention, if you are new to this corner of the internet and you're wondering, uh, really, what is this podcast all about? It's all about Spain, but really kind of scratching beneath the surface a little bit. The kind of lesser known Spain, you could say. This episode, I think, is number 92. So check back to 91 other episodes all about Spain, Spanish culture, lifestyle, my personal observations living here, history, language, travel, food and drink, lots of fantastic and interesting guests we've had across the episodes. So if this is your first episode, it's great to have you there. A warm welcome. Do go and check back to the whole back catalogue of When in Spain podcast episodes if you fancy a bit of a binge on all things to do with Spain. And I should also say that When in Spain is not just a podcast. Uh, we have a very active and friendly Facebook group. You can also follow me on Instagram. The handle you need is at When in Spain one and you can also find more information on the when in spain podcast website which is obviously when in spain podcast.com okay enough of that vamos a menorca Lorraine, thank you so much for joining me on the When in Spain podcast. Absolute pleasure. Let's start off uh, a bit about your story and your connection with Menorca. Now, you've lived in Menorca on and off for around 25 years. How did you come to call the island your home? Well, it's quite curious, really. I um, used to work on cruise ships on the smaller, sort of more cultural cruise ships, a company called Swan Hellenic, and we used to go to very unusual smaller ports. 
and uh, one day we were in the Western Mediterranean and the next day was to be the port of Mahon and the captain who was Greek in those days said to me you've got to be on the bridge for arrival and I said I'm always on the bridge for arrival I thought I might have a lie-in tomorrow and he said <laughs> you mustn't miss entering this port he said this is very special and so up I went onto the bridge and we sailed into the harbour and I just was immediately struck by its natural beauty and the scenery and the peace and quiet. Most ports, one goes into a dirty industrial places. And I thought then, if ever I lived in the Mediterranean, this is where I would live. And that's how it began. But of course, it took a few years before I got here. <laughs> I see. So it was kind of love at first sight, really. It truly was. The Port of Mahon, I've only seen photographs of it, but it's, it's very beautiful and very pretty, not like you said, very industrial and dirty. So it's one of the finest and largest natural harbours in the whole world. They say after Pearl Harbour, because mainly the volume of the water is enormous because it's very, very deep. So that's why it was um, in history featured very heavily. It really mattered uh, where you were going to keep your fleet of warships. And so everybody wanted the port of Mahon and the British got it for nearly the whole of the 18th century. They were in charge of the island. Uh, tell us a bit about what you get up to on the island then. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Menorca Sketchbook and a couple of other projects you're involved with. Tell us about Menorca Sketchbook. Um, I've seen a few images of it on the internet. What is it? It's the work of um, the man who is now my partner in life. <laughs> um, he's quite well known around and about called Graham Byfield. He's a watercolourist. And he's produced 10 sketchbooks over 20 years or so, starting in Singapore, where he used to work in advertising and then covering many other places, London, Oxford, Cambridge, Bali, even the Bahamas. Always wanted to do one about Menorca because he's had a house here since the 1980s and finally got the chance to start working on it a couple of years ago. He called me to help him with a few historic facts and checking stuff. And then he said, well, I really need an editor. Will you be my editor? Well, I said, yes, OK, I'll be your editor. And now I'm stuck with him. We're locked <laughs> down together. And that is it. <laughs> <laughs> a lockdown. That is a, that's the test of any relationship. <laughs> well, it certainly is. It certainly is. Anyway, it, it's a fantastic book, um, 150 individual watercolours, which Graham has collected and painted himself, of course, over the years. Not a guidebook, but uh, some of the most notable buildings and a lot of the very quirky things that you find in Menorca. And uh, we've done a Spanish version and an English version, oh, okay. and um, they've been really well received. It's like a coffee table book. into the island of Menorca in a bit more detail then. I mean, you know the island inside out. What would you say, in your opinion, makes Menorca unique? Well, I think the most surprising thing, it's Western Mediterranean, but it is so unspoilt, even, you know, over the last 30 years or so, when there has been development going on, compared with nearby places, the other Balearic Islands, and certainly the south coast of Spain, it is very, very unspoilt. Um, there are little areas of resorts and quite tastefully done, but it is not at all uh, built up. And of course, they are very, very protective of the environment. And there's a big, big lobby here to stop anything horrible happening. Uh, Menorca sat and watched what happened around the Bay of Palma um, and decided they were not going to go on that route. And so it's very hard now to, to actually develop anything um, at all. But that's very good. It has protected us. Um, mm. Historically, Menorca was the last place in Spain to fall to Franco. Menorca was very anti-Franco and Franco mm. took it out on the island. So when, after he gained power, he was dishing out money for airports and ports and developments, Menorca got nothing. But of course, now we're benefiting from that in a curious way. Mm. But of course, we do need tourists. It's a lovely place for family holidays. And that, that's the main thing, I think. There's something for all people of all ages. And of course, a villa holiday is, is the perfect solution. Or staying in some of the beautiful new hotel rurales, who, which have been opening up in recent years, mainly in redeveloped old, beautiful old homes and things. Mm. It's, it's quite different from the average Costa del Sol type of holiday. Completely. I can imagine. I mean, I've never been to Menorca, but I've always imagined it to be very rural, much more relaxed, laid back, low key than mm. certainly the other mm. uh, Balearic Islands, Menorca and Ibiza and, and other coastal 
parts of Spain, I suppose, as well. What are Menorcans like? Are they kind of proud of their identity? Um, do they consider themselves Spanish or Menorcan first? Or how does that work? Oh, Menorcan first, definitely. Yeah, I thought Spanish, you were saying that. Yeah, Spanish a bit down the list, really. They do have their own language here. Of course, Castilian is the official language of Spain. Mm but they have their own language. It's a version of Catalan, and they're very proud of it. And they're very proud of their identity. Britain invaded, I suppose you could say, Menorca in the early 18th century. The French arrived in the middle of the 18th century and kicked the British out, but they were only here for seven years, and then the British came back. And the Menorcans sort of take all this, you know, in their stride, <laughs> because basically they are Menorcan and it's their island, and at the end of the day, it'll always be their island. They are part of the Balearic Islands, of course, but um, that's really a, a political grouping as far as the Menorcans are concerned. Yeah. They don't like taking orders from Palmer at all. <laughs> I could imagine. Let alone Barcelona or Madrid. Oh. Or, Madri or Madrid for that matter, sure. Uh, you just touched there on the history uh, with the British. Quite interesting, that history, the historical links with Britain, captured by the Royal Navy in, I think, what, 1708? Uh, and then during the war, yes. Spanish succession, it temporarily exactly. became, uh, became a British possession. Um, and I guess that Indeed. Some, left some kind of marks on the island. Yes, amazingly so, really. Uh, as I mentioned, because of the wonderful natural harbour, the British really wanted to, to have a place they could keep their fleets all year round because before that in the winter they used not to fight with the ships because the weather was too bad but they'd have to take everything back to the UK um, to repair in Portsmouth or Plymouth and that was a, in a way of course quite hazardous going through the Bay of Biscay and so the, the idea of keeping the whole fleet in the Mediterranean um, was very very appealing and the Port of Marne was the place. And the British came, Monorga became officially British, as you say, in 1708. They established themselves in quite a big way, and they changed the capital of the island from uh, the western town of Ciudadela. They changed it to Mahon because of the harbour, mm -hmm. and that's where all the trade was. They turned the island more or less into what we just say now is a free port. So a lot of trading with overseas countries took place. And the Menorcans living in Mahon became very prosperous and were able to upgrade their homes and built some lovely palaces, which still exist today. And the British tried to help the Menorcans. We had a very good governor. Our first governor was called Richard Kane. He built the first proper road from one end of the island to the other. And he introduced new crops and new cattle and different farming practices to try and make best use of the land and so forth. He really cared about the Menorcan people and um, he spent all his life until he died yes, never married, just working really to improve the lot of the Menorcans. They left the island in 1802, and that was by treaty, uh, Treaty of Amiens, and it was decided to cede Menorca back to Spain in perpetuity, so the British had to leave. And some say, uh, even some Menorcans have said to me, ah, wish we'd stay, we'd stay British. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> As, in, as, of course, Gibraltar did. And is it right that there are some like physical reminders of the Brits' time yeah. there, like in terms of the architecture, and also some elements of language, words, the British words, which became adopted into the local language? Yes, indeed. Especially in and around Mahon, the architectural, visually, it, it's really Georgian in appearance. We have these sash windows and the typical Georgian window panes. All the buildings are white and the window panes and doors and furniture, all this dark green colour. And it is, it is like a little Georgian town. And a lot of the, uh, the language, the words in the Menorcan language are taken from the British. Words like gravy, they say gravy, screw <laughs> is a screwdriver. Tornescrew, uh, wow. They have a plum called never so, and that's very odd because apparently they brought these wonderful plums to Richard Kane, the governor, and he said, would you like to try these, sir? And he said, I never saw anything like this before. <laughs> They've called the plum the never saw. And so they call the plum the never saw. <laughs> That's fantastic. But I think the architecture, and there's still quite a lot of, you know, grand houses built in very much the sort of 
um, Anglo-Spanish Georgian style, which is quite mm. distinct. Also, it's some of the local dances are, are like Scottish dances, okay. and they wear a sort of costume, which is like a kilt, because really? there were Scottish you know, troops based here for quite a lot of the time as well. Mm -hmm. Staying with history, but going back <laughs> a lot further um, to, I suppose, prehistoric history. At the moment, Menorca is currently applying for UNESCO World Heritage Status in respect of its ancient, I don't know how to say this word, Talaiotic culture. Tell us a bit. Well, about yes, well, Menorca also, which is another big surprise. We've got more ancient monuments in Menorca than anywhere else in the Mediterranean, including all of ancient Greece and Turkey and so forth. In the small island of Menorca, we have 1,800 or so actual ancient um, talayots and their neighbouring buildings, which are less prominent, but there are quite a lot of them, called taulas. Taula, Catalan word for table. The talayots are conical stone structures and the talayot, the taulas are like tabletop shaped things, big stone column with a flat top to it I see. and these all date to about 2000 or more bc we know that people were living here a lot of people were living in caves and they were living also in these ancient villages and they're mainly in the south part of the island and they are very prolific and some are in quite good state of repair others are still very much in a state of ruin and we've gathered together about 30 or so of the best ones and we are presenting them to UNESCO to be considered as part of the World Heritage um, Programme. And we very much hope that we will be granted this, this status because it, they are quite unique, very, very interesting to visit. I guess they are quite prominent features of the landscape of, uh, and the geography of the island, really. Is there much variation across the island in terms of the, the geography and the landscape? Give us a bit of a flavour of what Menorca feels like if you're crossing the island from one side to the other. Because it's quite small, like you said, the Isle of Wight in, in the UK, mm. no more than 30 miles across at any, any two points. Absolutely. A mental image of the scale of the island. How would you describe the landscape? Well, it's, it's quite interesting because basically Menorca is two land masses fused together. The south part of the island would have been part of Africa millions of years ago, of course. And then the north part came down from, from Europe. And we are almost exactly equidistant between the south of Spain. In fact, if you go north from Menorca, you hit France rather than Spain because we are so far east. Mm. We're the most eastern part of the whole of Spain. So we're halfway between southern Europe and North Africa. And geologically, the, the parts of the island are quite different. The south part, it's more of a sandstone type construction, mm -hmm. quite porous. There's a lot of uh, access to fresh water. And this is another big attraction for the, the Royal Navy because there are fresh water deposits all along the south side of the Port of Mahon, very close to the edge of the sea, which of course is salty. So it's quite curious. They were able to just go ashore and take as much fresh water as they needed for the ships. I see. Um, the north part of the island is quite different. It's much. It's a different kind of stone, much harder. Although in parts it's quite slaty, but completely different from the south. The houses on the north part of the of the harbour have to have their water still trucked in. There's no oh, wow. access yeah, to fresh water on the ground. And uh, the north part is a lot more hilly. I would say mountainous is a bit of an exaggeration, but uh, <laughs> how it, we it have hills. one mountain, which is just under a thousand feet. It's quite different, undulating and hillier landscape in the north. Going back to UNESCO again, it was des uh, designated a UNESCO biosphere reserve back in the yeah. 90s. I've heard it been described as something think it's a, I know, a botanist's paradise um, with like lots of wildflowers and meadows and that kind of thing as well. Very much so. Um, the wildflowers are coming out already. Uh, they're all over the island from now until really the sun gets very, very strong June, July. We have a succession of beautiful wildflowers growing all over the place. Um, we have our cattle roaming freely, some of which were introduced by the British, the black and white Frisians, because they are much bigger milk producers. And of course, one of the big industries here is, is the local cheese mm -hmm. um, made by hand on a lot of the individual farms. We have sheep, we have pigs, wonderful bird life because we are on a sort of migration route. Um, of we've got some wetlands. Of course, that's very well worth seeing. And abundance of fish in the sea. Everything yes. you need. Everything you need. <laughs> Everything Absolutely. you need. Really. Let's do a little virtual 
whirlwind tour, I suppose, of the island. Let's go back to Mahon, or I believe as it's called locally Mao, no Mao, with the M-A-O. Yes. Population um, of around 30,000, notably smaller than um, Palma de Mallorca, for example, much, much smaller. Um, you described the harbour, one of the world's largest natural harbours. Um, what else would you recommend seeing in Mahon? Well, you mentioned the harbour, um, and there are wonderful harbour cruises you can do. They run on a regular basis, they take about an hour very good commentary, um, the yellow catamarans, they go all around the harbour and point out all the landmarks. And that's a very good way of orientating yourself. You'll see the naval base, you'll see the North Shore, um, you'll see a lot of old structures and fortifications. Um, so that's a very good way. The city itself can be easily visited on foot. Um, it was an ancient walled city, it's now expanded a bit beyond the walls, um, but very, very easy to see. Um, we have a wonderful marketplace, um, which is open every day. It's in an old cloisters of a church. And we have a fantastic fish market. And half the fish market now has been turned over to tapas bars with a great selection of different tapas run by different operations and wine, wonderful wines of the island and cheeses. And uh, that's a great lively place. Um, there's a lot of live music in the summer, which is, uh, takes place in various locations. Mm -hmm. We've got remains of the old city wall, which is worth a visit, and some wonderful restaurants, um, mainly around the harbour itself. Um, mm. We've now got two lifts, elevators, because the, the main part of the city is quite high up. And so we've got two elevators now, lifts, and so that makes it a little bit easier to, to get up and down. Um, and uh, just to admire, there's some wonderful museums. The Museum of Menorca is a very world-class museum. And also there are some other ones. Uh, Can Oliver, well worth a visit. That details a lot of the British history and legacy here as well. Great shops, of course, mm -hmm. individual shops selling, you know, handmade stuff and uh, very beautiful stuff. Great, great shopping town. Yeah. Yeah, again, I mean, I, I haven't been, but I imagine it as being one of those small cities that you can just wander and get lost in. Um, and you're not going to get lost. You're going to find your way back probably to the harbour eventually as well. But I can imagine it being that kind of city, just a nice city to, relaxed city to wander around and explore the back streets. One thing I haven't mentioned, of course, which is very important about the British legacy is the introduction of gin to Menorca. Because when the Royal Navy arrived, yeah. they said, well, where can we get gin? And they said, gin, we don't do gin. So uh, we showed Menorcas how to make gin. And it's, of course, gin is so popular now all over the place. Um, but Menorca's right. been making their own gin for a very long time. And we've got a wonderful old gin factory you can visit. They still make, uh, the stills are still heated by actual wood. And you can sample all the different kinds of gin. And of course, they're doing very, very well. Menorcan gin, very, very popular. Menorcan gin, who'd have thought it? Um, and is it right that it's, it's, uh, it's called pomada? Is that, is that kind of a mix of gin with, with lemon? Is that the kind of way, the, the way that, they drink it? That's correct, yes. Whereas, you know, one might have a gin and tonic in other parts of the world. A gin with Fanta Limon, the cloudy lemonade. It's a very, very popular drink, especially around the fiesta. I um, see. Each city and town have their own fiestas. But funny, in Ciudadela, because there's a bit of rivalry between these two cities. And in, in uh, Ciudadela, they call it gin con limon. They don't call it pomada, although uh, it's exactly the same. <laughs> uh, interesting, they're trying to sort of degrade it slightly, but I think it's just gin and lemon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see. So that would be like the typical drink that the locals would, you'd see the locals having. Dangerously easy to drink, I imagine. Yes. Getting out of Mahon then, you mentioned Ciutadella. I guess that is that kind of like the, the island's second city. Yes, the people who live there think they're the first city still. <laughs> they're still quite upset that the British moved the capital to Mahon. Mm. And in fact, Ciutadella is still the religious capital. We've got the cathedral, it's actually in Ciutadella. And um, the noble families of Menorca have their palaces there. Um, and it's a very different feel to it. It's quite grand, um, very, it isn't green and white, it's all a lovely sandstone colour, beautiful architecture. 
and it's it's really quite a sophisticated place. Um, this all came about because in 1287, um, King Alfonso III of Aragon came to Menorca and um, captured it from the Moorish in, people who had inhabited the island for nearly a thousand years, it must be said. And he drove them out and he brought his uh, henchmen mainly from Catalonia with him. And of course, there was no return ticket, so they stayed and he apportioned the land throughout Menorca and to the noblest families and the people who had helped him most in driving the Moors out. And a lot of families here to this day can still trace their ancestry back to 1287. Wow, really? And they all, the main ones, have their palaces um, up in Ciutadella. In Ciutadella. Beautiful city, yeah. It's got a lovely harbour too, um, but it's a much smaller and shallower, so it wouldn't have been suitable for the big ships. But it's still mm -hmm. very, very popular now um, for recreational boating. And mm -hmm. there's a new harbour outside the port, which takes the ferries and the cargo ships and so forth. I see. And if we get uh, away from the coast and inland, are there any kind of beautiful, very kind of, I don't know, more untouched off the beaten track inland towns or villages that you would recommend visiting? I guess if um, anyone has access to a, to a car on the island. Well, I really recommend people hiring a car, um, even if you've never driven on, quote, the wrong side of the road, unquote. <laughs> it, <laughs> I say this because for our Amer American listeners, they won't find a problem. With That's this. very true. For us, for us Brits, it's the wrong side of the road. I think for pretty much every other country in the world, it's the, it's the same <laughs> exactly. side, yeah. So we recommend hiring um, a car to get out, get out into the countryside. Uh, it, it, the, the, there's not a lot of traffic, even in July, August. Um, it's it's so nice to be able to get off the main roads and up into the towns and villages. Um, get a good map, easy. There's some very good maps, and uh, you can see so much more. Definitely, definitely take a car. And there are lots of private small car hire companies. Tell us a couple of your favourite places to sort of soak up village or small town Menorcan life. Well, the smaller the better, really, in a way. Um, I love yeah. Esmijon Grand in particular because that's, that's the sort of latest village to be given sort of proper town status. It only has a population of about a thousand and it's a beautifully friendly village. A lot of artists and musicians live there. They have a music school and they have their own fantastic band that plays at all the fiestas. Fantastic. Beautiful church and it's a most delightful place and some four or five really good restaurants there too important <laughs> very important we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later on uh in the episode okay so esmichon gran i'll put a note to the places we mentioned for the listeners in the notes of this episode uh by the way esmichon gran okay but of course you must go up the top of our mountain monte toro uh -huh. and that's accessed from esmacadal which is more or less bang in the middle of the island, and mm -hmm. that you pass that on the main road if you go across. It's well worth going up this mountain because there's a monastery at the top, um, very nice cafe, restaurant, um, shops, um, but you get a fantastic view of the whole island, ah, all the coast okay. of all the island from there. So it gives you a really good idea of it, and it's well worth the visit. And Esmerkadal itself is a beautiful town as well pedestrianized center, uh, half a dozen really good restaurants, nice markets, shops, excellent, delightful mm. place. A lot of listeners are interested when they go on holiday doing some hiking and walking or cycling, that kind of thing. Um, national parks, you've got the, the Salbufera des Grau National Park. Fantastic, really beautiful. And it's got this amazing inland freshwater lake there. And that's where you go to see the really best birds, uh, and it's very protected. The sand dunes are protected. In fact, the whole of the north coast of Menorca is now a, a sort of marine conservation area. And then really important to mention, I guess, one of the most famous kind of features of Menorca would be the uh, Camille de Cavals, the, uh, literally the path of the horses, which is, a, yes. if I believe, is a 185-mile circular coastal walking path um tell us about that what's it like it sounds amazing yeah oh that, that is something it's really brilliant it's been sort of developed renovated completely in recent years um originally it was designed to uh, as a way of patrolling really the coastline of the island on horseback 
to see mm. whether any invaders were coming because the island has so many little inlets and we call them callers where a small boat can sneak in um, and so they wanted to be sure we, we weren't in because the island has been invaded a few times mm -hmm. um, so they had this patrol going all around the island then it fell into disrepair and then you know 15 years ago or so they started repairing it and now as you say it is a complete walkway and you can you can arrange with certain companies um, will take you and leave you and then pick you up at the end um, and or you can just do it yourself and, and a lot of my friends have managed to do the whole walk in mm -hmm. various stages of course oh of course yes it's yeah, 185 it's miles a, <laughs> yeah well quite some of it's um, quite easy and some of it is a little bit more challenging Mm -hmm. um, but it's mainly coastal, but some bits do go inland a bit, but the scenery is magnificent. It's a lovely way of seeing the island. And I guess you could just uh, plan your walk around the Camille des Cavals um, with little stop-offs, you know, spending the night in different places, I imagine. Exactly. And there are people who are sort of organising that now. Where would you say is a good place to watch the sunset with a nice drink? Well, um, really anywhere along the, the south coast. We've got these amazing caves, very uh -huh. famous. The, Shiroi caves, uh, which are natural caves quite high up, and they've been turned into a sort of bar um, and discotheque area. But they are open usually from about um, late morning onwards. Wonderful place to go up, and you can stay and sit and have a drink and watch the scenery and then stay for sundowners, which is very popular. Mm. The top of Monte Toro, of course, spectacular. Or on the beach, maybe at Santa Thomas, which is a very pleasant beach resort, reached from Esmejon Grand. There's some wonderful bars there, and you can sit and watch the sun go down, as you say. With a, with a nice, yeah. cool, refreshing pomada. I'm just picturing this now, and I really wish <laughs> that I could be <laughs> sitting on one of those beaches at sunset right now, uh, not in February in a very chilly Madrid. <laughs> uh, that sounds, sounds beautiful. sounds wonderful. And actually, is it right to say that, not talking about the sunset, but the sunrise, because of its geographic location, it's the first place in Spain to see the sunrise, because it's the most is, east, easterly island? This is very true. In fact, my house, which is right on the harbour, I, I have a wonderful privilege of watching the sunrise first thing, the first person almost to see it in Spain. You would be, um, I imagine. Every yeah. morning. <laughs> That's quite spectacular too. I guess we should mention beaches and the Calas, as you mentioned, the Calas, which are the coves. I, I mean, I, I heard that Menorca has more beaches than Mallorca and Ibiza put together, apparently, I heard. Yeah, it is a fact. Uh, a big surprise, really. Mm. Um, some are quite large. Um, Song Bao um, is several kilometres long. Um, and some are really tiny and only accessible by boat. Oh, um, but wonderful. There are there's some beautiful beaches, really quite you know, fantastic beaches. Do you have any favourites you'd recommend someone visiting the island if they want to, uh, well, I guess kind of secret beaches or beaches Ooh. which are a bit more well-known with more facilities? One of the famous ones is Binny Becca, um, which is a beautiful beach just uh, on the south coast. There's a lot of beaches along the south coast. There's, there's some on the north coast as well. Cala Mesquida is a beautiful one. That's only about 15 minutes from Mahon. On the north coast, very big, very beautiful, very unspoiled. Famous ones, Cala Galdana, um, mm -hmm. which was one of the first resorts to be developed. Um, Alcafar was a lovely beach that has the very first hotel ever built in Menorca in 1947, mm -hmm. um, which is a great place for Sunday paellas. A lot of local people go for that. Um, Sonbao, the big beach. Um, and then there are lots of little ones which are a bit of a walk away, Macarella, Macarelleta, and uh, a lot of them easily accessible by boat, not so mm -hmm. easily accessible on foot, but um, makes worth, the, the, trouble, worth make, the trouble. Makes them, yeah, makes them all, all the more exclusive and private and secluded it's, and secret, I suppose. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And are they predominantly sand beaches or pebbles oh, or a mixture? No, all sand. We don't really have any pebbly beaches. No, they're all very nice sand. 
I've heard uh, some people say, in fact, I did a podcast episode a few episodes ago with a couple who uh, did a touring Spain looking at the most beautiful beaches and, uh, well, coast of Spain. And they talked about Menorcan beaches, describing them as almost like the Caribbean, like really crystal clear turquoise waters and very white sand beaches. It's quite funny you say that because I, I tend to go to the Caribbean in the winter mm-hmm. most years. And of course, it's been impossible this year. Of course. Um, but last year I was in the, an island in the Grenadines called Palm Island and I took a photograph of a beach and it had these sort of posts with ropes between them and I saw almost exactly the same view in our beach here of Santa Thomas the other day and I took a photograph of that and I put them both on Facebook <laughs> and they looked identical. They were comparable. <laughs> How, wow. yeah. So there you go. It's a little, <laughs> a little slice of the Caribbean in Menorca. We've kind of touched on it a bit already, I, I suppose. Food and drink, one of my favourite subjects, of course, when we're talking about Spain. You mentioned the, the gin. Let's just stay with drink for a second. Wine, is, is that a thing? Because I guess traditionally Menorca hasn't really been synonymous with, with wine and wine production. Is that starting to change? Are there more wines being produced there now? Yes. I mean, this is something that in recent years has really taken off. I think we've probably got about nine or ten vineyards now producing enough to merit description as commercial quantities Hmm. um, and very good. But because they're small productions, they tend to be more expensive than the Riojas and uh, normal regular Spanish wines you can buy in the supermarket. Hmm. But they're very well worth a try. Um, One or two of the vineyards are attached to hotels. I mean, Toral Bank is a famous one, and their wine, in my opinion, is the nicest wine in Menorca. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one called Vinifadets, which is near San Luis, and they have, there's not a hotel, but they have a wonderful restaurant there, and it's set amongst the vineyards, and you could be in rural France or wow. Tuscany, um, and the food is excellent, and the wine is wonderful, and they do great vineyard tours as well. And then there are a number of smaller ones and a lot of people are sort of starting up and trying to use their land to grow wine. So it's, it's very much on the increase. Let's look at food then. Local delicacies, anything that uh, uh, someone visiting the island should definitely try, which is sort of very traditional to the island? Well, of course, I mentioned the cheeses. Yeah, um, the Mahon cheese, formaggio yes. de mao, yeah. But they're mainly, again, there's some quite industrial quantities of cheese produced, but also many of the farms dotted around the island have signs up outside, say, vented to quesos, come in, drive in, and you can try and buy their local cheeses, which are wonderful. We have this thing called sobrasada. Sobrasada, uh, yes. It's called spreading sausage. It's made of pork and paprika, principally. It's a little um, bit like a, like a pate, almost, I'd say. It is almost like a pate. To me, the best way of serving it is with a drizzle of honey on top. Mm, yeah. And there's even a place up in Ciudadela, a pizza restaurant, that serves sobrasada and honey pizzas. Great favourite of Annie B. <laughs> is that right? She's always raving about the pizzas with sobrasada and honey. <laughs> Annie, Annie B for the listeners, just in case you, uh, you haven't heard that episode. Annie B and uh, yourself are friends and you have a collaboration with food and wine tours. I interviewed Annie B about seven episodes ago, listeners, um, talking all about the world of sherry, sherry wine. So if you're interested in sherry, go and check back to that. And that's, uh, that's who Annie B is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I heard a curious story. I don't know if you can shed any more light on it, that the origin of mayonnaise actually comes from Menorca, kind of uh, from the French when they were there during the French occupation. Um, It's kind of a corruption of the the name of the city Mahon, Mahonaise, uh, mayonnaise. Um, Is that, have you heard that? Is is mayonnaise mayonnaise popular on the island? Very much so. Um, and there's a big, we've got a really big movement here for really um, into food and wine and looking at some of the old recipes and mm-hmm. reviving them and to produce really authentic Menorcan food. And um, all the restaurants are being encouraged to not just open the bottle of Hellman's, but to actually make their own mayonnaise, <laughs> um, which is wonderful. Um, and they say that during the French rule, um, there are lots of stories, but the, um, the Duke of Richelieu 
was going around the island um, with a few people on horseback, checking out farms and so forth, and he was getting a bit hungry, went into a farm and uh, we need food, please. And, uh, and we need some sauce with it. What sauce have you got? And the farmer says, I haven't got any sauce, but I've got some eggs and I've got some olive oil. I and see. that's how mayonnaise was formed. Fantastic. They say. They, they say. say, they say, they say. Well, it, it makes sense, the kind of connection yeah. with the mahon and mayonnaise. Uh, what about sort of more hearty food? I guess, I mean, meat, you said um, there was uh, a lot of meat produced on the island. Additional dishes with meat or, or indeed seafood or fish? Yes, well, meat, um, I mentioned the British introducing the black and white Frisian cows, mm. but the Menorcan cow is a little brown cow and they make excellent food, um, beef for eating, really delicious. And so... That is being developed. Um, they're being bred more intensively for football restaurants um, and households. Uh, the lamb is fantastic, especially the baby lamb, absolutely delicious. Anything to do with pork is, is wonderful. They use every single part of the pig. Mm -hmm. And we have wonderful chickens, bright yellow chickens. Bright yellow. <laughs> um, yeah. Funny, I was in a, um, well, I don't need to say this really, but I was in a supermarket this morning and... Yeah. Um, Mercadona, and Mercadona, they, were selling, yeah. they were selling chicken feet. Chicken feet. I I've have seen. I've you. seen them before in some places in other parts of Spain. Yeah, occasionally, I think you boil um, boil them up in a broth. I think to give it a bit of flavour. Doesn't yeah. not, not particularly appealing for me, to be honest. I must say. No, I've <laughs> had them in China. They weren't great. <laughs> Oof, no, just a little step too far for me personally. But the seafood is fantastic. Uh -huh. uh, we have a, a lot of our own fishing boats going out all the time. A lot of the restaurants actually own their own fishing boats, so uh -huh. you can be sure of the freshest fish. I've got a difficult question for you now, Lorraine. Could you name us three of your favourite restaurants on the island? Uh, it could be very down-to-earth or it could be very high-end. Where would you take us? Trump's I hate to do this. <laughs> no, it's a tough question. There's an area um, very close to where I live, which is right on the harbour, called Calas Fonts, and there are about four or five really first class restaurants there mm. um, um one of course one of them is called um es Yenigal, which means in it's catalan it means the slipway mm -hmm. very small um but they have very innovative cookery and all the local de delicious uh, cuisine including mussels cooked in gin of course what else of course <laughs> If you go to um, Ciudadela, there's a beautiful restaurant right on the water's edge, which is absolutely one of my favorites called San Marador. That's on two levels. They've got outside seating inside. They've got a courtyard and they have an upstairs dining room, all of which are excellent. And the food is superb. Curiously enough, close to the airport, there's a restaurant called El Grill. El Grill. Okay. Really excellent. For years I didn't go there. I thought it was far too close to the airport and a boring name like that. But it is one of the best restaurants in Menorca, believe me. And it's actually in an old farmhouse, so you have no idea that you're right by the airport. Oh, wow. Yeah, the name doesn't really seem to um, do it justice then. <laughs> no. Esmoli des Foch in San Clement is lovely. Moving on from food and drink, uh, this is something that I find particularly interesting. It's one thing I love about Spain in general, because every region and town and village seems to have their own little traditions. Are there any notable traditions of the Menorquinos, any kind of quirky festivals, um, fiestas that happen on the island? Oh, the fiesta is a very, very big part of Menorcan life. Every town and village uh, has its own fiesta, and so every week during during the summer months, starting in June, um, there'll be a fiesta taking place somewhere. Um, they start with the festival of San Juan, mm -hmm. which takes place in Ciudadela. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, people from all over Spain and further afield have come onto the island um, to witness this fiesta. And the, the Menorcan horse is the most important feature of the fiesta. It plays a very, very large part. I we have see. our own pure breed race of horses here. Uh -huh. Mainly black, but they're not all black. Some are brown or white or grey. But the Menorcan horse is a very special creature. And they do this sort of dressage. Well, it's similar to dressage, but they go up onto their hind legs 
and they walk on their hind legs ah, quite a okay. long distance. Uh -huh. And the idea is that you run in front of the horse, I don't try this at home, <laughs> and touch its heart for good luck. Is that right? So yeah. this happens in the streets and there are and people is, running to try and touch the horse's parts. There are. There <laughs> are. Amazing. Amazing how few accidents there are, bearing yeah. in mind the yeah. proximity of the crowds and the horses sure. on their hind legs. The horses are so well-natured, they take it all in their stride. That definitely is a quirky uh, it festival. <laughs> it, it certainly is. It, everybody must try and see one fiesta when they're here music and dancing and everybody's out to, and people they are taking a pomada or two but everybody is so nice natured and yes. gentle and yes. friendly Civilized. you don't see any aggression or nastiness mm. at all mm. which yeah. is there's a lot about the people i think yeah, I think I think that goes for anywhere in Spain. If you can try yeah. and try and uh, experience a, a Spanish fiesta anywhere, uh, it really gives you a kind of deep slice of real Spain, I suppose. Mm. So they're absolutely amazing. Practical advice then for visiting. You said earlier about renting a car. I mean, if you can and you can drive, uh, your advice is do it because you've got to be able to get off the you know beaten path and go and visit these small uh, towns and villages and that kind of thing and also absolutely it's not, absolutely. A, not a big island with big busy roads so your advice is yes what about um just in case public transport um on the island mm. for example you know if you wanted to get between mahon and Ciutadella or other buses fairly easy to use very very good bus service indeed modern mm. air-conditioned buses there's a bus station in the center of mahon and they have buses from there that run to all parts of the island. They run on time and they're not expensive. And it's a very good way of getting around um, if you haven't or don't wish to hire a car. Mm -hmm. And of course, there are taxis as well, cheap and efficient and speedy. But the car just allows you to go off piste a little bit and just explore a bit further. We talked about Catalan, well, Menorquí, uh, the local dialect of Catalan. I'm imagining it's widely spoken amongst the locals, but you don't need to worry about learning any. I mean, maybe they'd be impressed if you learned a few words. I suppose it's important to say that you will see signs written in Catalan or Menorquí, uh, not Castellano necessarily. Yes, this is true, but we do have both the languages, um, but everybody, of course, does speak Castilian Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I think, it, you know, as a courtesy, it's very nice for visitors to at least have a few words, at least in Castilian, if not in, in Menorquin. Sure. It, you just get a warmer reception. A few more bon dias instead of buenos but, dias. <laughs> exactly. Again, this is a bit of a big question, I guess. Let's say you've got one week. What would, in your opinion, be the kind of perfect itinerary? And I mean by that kind of how much time should you be spending in Mahan, in Ciutadella, in the small, smaller towns and villages? Uh, should you base yourself in just one place on the island and use that? Well, it depends on what you like to do. Um, mm. In recent years, some of the old palaces and beautiful townhouses in Mahon and in Tudadella have become small hotels. Um, now, traditionally, people would come and they would always stay in a beach hotel, but these town hotels have become very popular of late. Um, you don't immediately need a car the whole period you're there. You can hire one for maybe one or two days and see an awful lot on foot. Um, or you can take a beach hotel. Uh, you can see nearly all the important places uh, quite quickly. Um, if you drove directly from Mahon to Ciudadela, you could do it in under an hour without making any okay. stops at all. So that gives you some idea of the size. Mm -hmm. um, definitely try and do some waterborne activities. Um, definitely the Mahon Harbour cruise. Um, a visit to the Isla del Rey in the centre of Mahon Harbour, I would highly recommend. Um, this is particularly interesting because on it is the first ever Royal Naval Hospital ever in the world, which wow. was built by the British in 1711. Mm -hmm. It then fell into complete disrepair and has been renovated since 2004 entirely by a group of volunteers. You've been personally involved with that project. I am involved with it very much so. Um, mm. And I'm one of the English speaking guides if you come over. Um, you might very well find me taking you around. 
Um, very, very interesting project. We've tried to restore not only the buildings, which are beautiful, um, architecturally very important buildings, um, but also tried to give the hospital back its soul. Um, so it has a wonderful atmosphere to it. Um, the ground floor is all related to aspects of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then on the first floor, we've got um, a center of interpretation for the whole history of, of the port of Mahon. And that's something that's new. It's opening this year for the first time. And then also on the same little island, um, another building, which was an old Spanish naval building, is going to be turned into a fantastic art gallery. And we're hoping it will open in May. Um, it's being run by Hauser and Worth, who are very well known in the world of modern art. And we feel this is going to have the sort of the Guggenheim, Guggenheim factor. That, I uh, see. Like Bilbao like Bilbao has, had, yeah. Enjoyed. Yeah. Um, they're going to have some fantastic works of art there and sculptures. It's going to be free of charge to visit. Nothing is for sale. You won't be pressed to buy things. It's just a, a wonderful thing to see and to admire. Again, have a little restaurant also on the island, and you should be able to visit virtually any day of the week. Um, this is going to be something quite new and quite different from Menorca. And we're all very excited about it. Sounds very exciting. And what a fantastic idea as well. How could uh, somebody find out more about booking a tour and booking a trip to do that? Well, it's quite a lot in the press about it. Um, mm -hmm. Hauser and Worth have their own website. They've okay. got a very big um, operation down in Somerset in England. Mm -hmm. But any of the Menorcan websites should be able to tell you more information about it. Lorraine, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thank you so much for your wonderful insights and information. Absolute pleasure for me too. Lovely to talk to you and I hope we can see you in Menorca sometime. It would be really fun. I hope so too, yeah. definitely. I will be in touch when that yeah. day arrives. Okay, so that was Lorraine Yore. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did interviewing Lorraine. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Uh, just to say, if you are interested in getting your hands on a copy of the Menorca sketchbook with beautiful artwork by Graham Byfield, who is Lorraine's partner, you can find a copy at the moment by searching Menorca sketchbook on eBay. Soon it will be available on Amazon as well. And if you're in the UK, the bookstore Waterstones uh, will also be stocked copies of Menorca sketchbook as well. And also, if you're interested in finding out more information about La Isla del Rey and the Naval Hospital, and you'd like to maybe visit the island uh, on a trip to Menorca in the future, and indeed take a tour where Lorraine may be your guide, uh, who knows, uh, you can find more information about that at islahospitalmenorca.org. islahospitalmenorca.org. Okay, so with that, I'll wrap up this episode of When in Spain. And just to say, actually, coming very soon, I'm going to be putting together an episode about another Balearic island called Mallorca, the more well-known one, I guess. Uh, I've got a very special guest lined up to talk all about the island of Mallorca. So keep your ears open for that. As always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for continuing to listen. In the meantime, please do consider signing up to support the When in Spain podcast. Uh, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. And there's also a link to that in the show notes of this episode as well. Okay, so I'll leave it there. Until next week, I shall bid you hasta luego. Bye.